This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless your event and bless your community. I, I'm going to be talking about a topic which I was very pleased to get as my topic because I think it's extremely important and it's something that I personally feel very, very strongly about. And that is the topic of resilience. Now, when we talk about resilience, I'm going to give you some Arabic terms, some Quranic concepts uh, that have to do with resilience. And I'm going to begin with a concept called sabr. Uh, because when we, I think to begin with, we have a very, very major misunderstanding of what sabr really means. And so to begin with, I want to sort of uh, discuss the, the meaning of sabr and, 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 and sort of... Uh, take care of these misconceptions in order for us to continue and talk about what resilience really is. So one of the misconceptions when it comes to sub is that if I were to ask you this question, what does sabr mean? Many people, everyone mostly, will respond with saying patience. Sabr is patience. Okay, that's beautiful. Sabr among the meanings of sabr is patience. Yes, but what does that mean? And a lot of times people understand sabr as being passive. That sabr means just don't do anything. Just stand there. Just take it. That kind of thing. Uh, for example, this idea of turn the other cheek. This concept of turn the other cheek, first of all, doesn't come from Islam. But this concept of turn the other cheek, we have come to understand sabr as turn the other cheek. What does it mean? Essentially, this, this phrase comes from if you were to come and hit me on this cheek... I wouldn't do anything. In fact, I would turn my cheek so you can hit me on the other cheek. That is a concept coming from other religious traditions, which is not our tradition, that we have taken and called it sabr, which is that if I am being abused, if I am being persecuted, if I am being oppressed, that sabr means do nothing, right? Take it, swallow it, and do nothing about it. For, you know, this, this idea of have sabr, sister, right? Have sabr. And this is not the meaning of sabr. Because in fact, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about sabr, when the Prophet teaches us about sabr, part of sabr, and scholars in fact define sabr and categorize and, and classify sabr into three parts. And one of the parts of sabr is in taking action. For example, we're told that sabr, that, that, that this concept of sabr involves being able to restrain ourselves from the haram. So there's a there's a part of sabr which is restraint. But there's another part of sabr which is being able to persevere with the commandments. That's also part of sabr. And in order for me to persevere with the commandments, I have to have sabr. That's an action. That's for me every single morning for you to wake up before fajr. Right? And to take your suhoor, and then to you know, make wudu and pray. This requires sabr. That this is a muscle that is required, and it involves action. And so I, I want us to change our concept of what sabr means. That sabr isn't doing nothing. That sabr is not just being passive, rolling over and playing dead, that kind of thing. But sabr actually involves action. And it is perseverance, and when I take action, I require sabr. Now, um, it's also important to note that the Prophet ﷺ told us that if we are oppressed, 
that if we see oppression, that in fact we are supposed to take action against it. The Prophet, peace be upon him, said, the reason I want to say this is because so much of our religious rhetoric is teaching, and this is why I'm emphasizing this, so much of it teaches us that righteousness is to swallow oppression, right? That if you swallow and you turn the other cheek and you do nothing about oppression, whether it's within your home or whether it's happening to those around you or it's happening overseas, that to swallow and do nothing about oppression, we were taught that this is righteousness, that this is what makes you a patient person. But in fact, the Prophet ﷺ gave us a different prescription. He said that if you see something wrong, you should try to change it. He doesn't say to turn the other cheek. He says that you should take action to change it. He said you should try to change it with your tongue. And if you cannot, then change it with your hand. That, that first, try to change it by doing action or speaking out against it. And if you cannot, then at least hate it in your heart. And this is the weakest of amen. He also said, help your brother if he is an oppressor or he's oppressed. And the companion said, well, we know how to help him if he's oppressed. But how do we help our brother if he's the oppressor? And he said, by stopping him from oppressing Part of our iman is taking action against oppression. So sabr, to begin with, I want to just kind of clarify the meaning of sabr. There's an ayah in the Qur'an in the end of Surah Al-Imran, the very last ayah, it's ayah 200 of Surah Al-Imran. And in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving us like a sort of like ingredient list for success. Okay, it's a list of what is necessary to be successful. Is there anyone in this room who actually wants to be unsuccessful? No one, right? In fact, if I had a room full of every religious group in the world, one thing we would all have in common is everyone wants to be successful, right? Everyone wants success. But success is defined differently to different people, okay? The Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this ayah gives us how to be successful. He gives us an ingredient list. And this ingredient list involves four things, four ingredients. Okay, everyone ready? It's always fun to speak to people while they're like totally blood sugar low, and, but no, um, it's like, it's like, I don't know what's better, it's like, speaking before iftar, when everyone's like, really, really like, low blood sugar, or right after when everyone's like, food coma, and both are kind of, I got before, alhamdulillah, um, so the four ingredients for success, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ya yuhalladina amanu, asbiru, wasabiru, warabitu, wattaqullah, la'allakum tuflihun, so Allah has told us now, Four ingredients for success. What are those ingredients? You'll notice there's four, and actually three out of the four involve some form of patience, some form of perseverance, some form of sub, sub in some capacity, okay? Three out of the four, so 75%. In order for us to be successful in this journey through life, we have to be a people of resilience. We have to be a people who can withstand. The first is right? Have patience, have perseverance, have sabr. And we already spoke about what is sabr. Sabr incorporates and encapsulates patience, perseverance, constancy, all of these things in one. But then the next commandment is wasabiru. So they sound similar, but they're a little bit different. The second word involves a different form of the same root, and it's it's actually a more intensified version of patience or sub, and it's when you're not only just having patience, but you're 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 competing in this in this perseverance. You're competing against an opposing like something that's that's, a, that's against you know like resilience. You have to have something pulling you in the other direction for it to be resilient. How many people have ever worked out? No one. No one does those things. When you
you work out, when you go to the gym, and you want to build muscle, right? The way that you're going to build muscle is to do resilience training. In fact, the more that you have something pulling against you, and the more that you'll, you're pulling, right? The more you're going to build. So the more, the more opposing force there is, the stronger you become when you pull. That's resilience. That's and that rather, sorry, resistance training. Yeah. And so what happens is here, it's an, it, it's, it's another like intensified version of sabwasabiru, and then warabitu. Rabitu is to like be ready. So for example, in in battle, when you'd have two two armies that are going to be fighting. There is a point right before their attack, right, where the you have to be stationed and you have to stand firm because that's the point when people want to run. You know what I'm saying? It's like just that point, just that point right before the battle. That's when you're like, I'm out of here, and it requires a a, a lot of strength and resilience and perseverance and tasabbur, right? And this 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 intense or or ribat. This is called warabitu. It's to stand firm and to be ready. Now, obviously, it's not only talking about battle, but in life that we have to have this ability to be firm. And then the fourth part of the ingredient is taqwa, wattaqullah. These are the ingredients Allah gives us for patience to have to have rather success. Now, the question becomes this: How can we have perseverance? How can we be resilient, especially in the type of political climate we're dealing with, the type of, you know, the, the issues that we have, both politically, socially, financially, we are dealing with storms. We are in a, we are in a situation right now as an ummah collectively where we are dealing with storms. People have their individual storms, we have our, our collective family storms, we have our community storms, we have this global storm that we're dealing with from many different directions. And among them is the Islamophobia that we're dealing with. Yeah, that the fact that we have become a targeted community, and in fact, a community where it's not just accepted to be Islamophobic, it'll it, it's actually like a currency. It'll win you elections. You know what I'm saying? The more Islamophobic you can be, now you can win elections being Islamophobic. That that by attacking us as a community, it's going to in fact win you votes. That's the situation we're in right now. It's very serious. Yeah? And people have you know, their individual struggles. We are dealing with storms. So the question becomes, how can we be resilient in a storm? Let me ask you this question. In fact, I'm going to answer this question um, by telling you a, a story. Okay? It's a story you guys know. How many people have ever heard the, the story of the three little pigs? Like two people. Where, where was your childhood? <laughs> Okay, a lot of people never had a childhood. But I'm going to bring back your child. I'm going to make up for it. The three little pigs, okay? So there's three little pigs, if you would imagine. Um, one of them is very, very lazy, okay? Um, maybe he's been fasting. Oh, no, he wasn't fasting. He's very lazy, okay? So what does he do? He builds his home out of something very easy and quick. He, like, he like uses like straw or something, yeah? And so his home is very weak. But that's because he doesn't have, doesn't put in the work to build a strong house. And then you have the second pig who's like somewhat lazy. And so this pig makes his house a little bit stronger, but still not very strong out of like twigs. And then you have the third pig. And this third pig, I should really change this for Muslims, like call it something else because we're really offended by pigs. But it's okay, you get the idea. Then the third pig 
is, is not lazy. And the third pig actually puts in the work to build a solid foundation made of brick. Okay, everyone following? So then what happens is, who comes around, guys? The big bad wolf comes around, okay? And he huffs and he puffs and he blows the first house down. Why does he blow the first house down? Because it was never strong. It was weak. Now, why am I telling you this story? Um, the reason I'm telling you this story is that in life, there's a lot of big bad wolves that come our way, okay? Alhamdulillah, in the U.S., he's got a toupee-type looking thing. Uh, and, 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 I mean, in America, sorry. We have, we have, yes, alhamdulillah, we have a lot of different forms of the big bad wolf. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, I was referring to Trump. Um, but the idea is that we have financial big bad wolves, we have financial problems, we have health problems, we have, we have community problems, we have mental health problems, we have all these different struggles that come our way, political problems, we have pe- things happening all over the world that we're getting blamed for. These are things that are going to come our way. This is the big bad wolf huffing and puffing, all right? But what happens with the second house? The second house is a little stronger, but still it's not strong enough to be able to withstand the huffing and puffing of the big bad wolf. These are trials that come our way. These are the, 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 the wind and the storms. But look at the third house. The third house was built strong. The third house had a solid foundation. And so when the big... See, the, big, the same circumstances coming to all three houses. Are you understanding? You're hungry, yeah? The, the same circumstance are coming to all three houses, but one is getting destroyed by it. One is getting destroyed by it, but the other is not. The third house is not getting destroyed by it. That is resilience. That is the ability to withstand the storm and not be destroyed. Now, how do we do that? How can I do that as a human being, as a believer? How can I be a person of resilience? And the answer is, I have to build a strong foundation. I have to build a strong house, basically. I have to have a strong shelter around me so that when storms come my way, because storms will always come. If anyone came to you and said, you know what, it'll never rain. You know, storms will just never happen. Then they're lying to you because that's part of life. Life is that there is weather, there's storms, there's rain, there's wind. We can't control these things, right? No matter how much power you have, no matter how much, you know, political or wealth, you can't control the rain. Can you? Can Trump control the rain? Can he say, you know what, I'm really, you know, tweet about it, you know, it really shouldn't have rained at this time. I'm deciding that it's going to stop raining at 2. He can't. He can't. You can't control the rain. But what can we do? We can control where we are when it rains. We can, we can choose to go within the shelter. We can wear a rain jacket. We can have an umbrella. You guys following? So what happens is that spiritually, we have to build these shelters. We have to build these spiritual shelters, whereas we can withstand the storms. And we can be a people of resilience. But that will never happen unless we are inside of shelter. Make sense? Fair enough? Does that, does that make sense? So now I'm going to tell you how to build those bricks. I'm going to tell you how it is that we can build that home. And the answer is this. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a three-part prescription, a three-part sort of uh, blueprint of how to build that home. And you're going to be like, what? That's... But just, just, just stay with me, okay? Number one is the salah. See, here's the thing. We, everyone in this room probably learned about salah when you were like three years old. 
You know what I'm saying? You learned how to pray, maybe when you started praying when you were a kid. But it's one of those things that we just take for granted. We take for granted, number one, how important it is, and number two, how powerful it is. It's a bit like oxygen. You see, every one of us in this room, alhamdulillah, is breathing, right? Mm-hmm. Not yes. sure? <laughs> yes, right? <laughs> I get them right before Maghrib. Everyone in this room is breathing, but we're taking it for granted, right? We're, obviously, we need oxygen, but no one really thinks about it until it's taken away. And when it's taken away, you start to see the effect, right? If you, do, if you go without oxygen, even for a few seconds, you'll feel the effect, right? It's the same with salah. Salah is one of these things that we've taken for granted, but without salah, it's like a person who has been, who has been deprived of oxygen. Salah is the oxygen of our soul, the oxygen of our heart. And a person cannot be healthy and cannot even stay alive spiritually without the salah. And it's as simple as that. Um, the other thing about salah is it's prescribed. You know when a doctor gives you a prescription and there's a certain timing for the prescription? Yeah? So the doctor says, here's a prescription. You know, ma'am, sir, you are, you, you need this to stay alive, in fact. This is so serious that this medicine is going to keep you alive. And here's what you have to do. You have to take the first dose in the morning before sunrise. And then you have to take the next dose around noon. And then the next one around, you know, 4 o'clock. And the next one around 7 and so on. And you have to take five doses. But they need to be taken at a certain time or a certain time interval. Right? How many people are going to take that prescription and number one, just throw it in their drawer and not even care? Or how many people are going to take the medicine and say, you know what, I'll take it once in a while, but when I'm busy, I'll just skip two or three doses. Or my favorite, um, you know, I'm really busy today, so I'll take all five doses before I sleep. Right? No one's going to do that. That's called overdosing, yeah? And, and, and it's actually not going to work that way. When a medicine is taken, it has to be taken properly as prescribed by the doctor. Fair enough? So this is the thing. Allah has prescribed this medicine for us. And it isn't just medicine, it's actually oxygen. And when a person is deprived of oxygen, it affects them spiritually just as a body is affected by the deprivation of oxygen. And it's nothing short of that. And I want to emphasize that in every single audience that I speak to because I feel like we've lost the basics. And when I say we've lost the basics, I don't mean basics because they're unimportant. I mean essentials. We've lost the essentials. You know, when a person, it's like a person goes to a doctor and says, yo, doctor, um, I'm having all these issues and, you know, help me with this, prescribe this. And the first question is, are you getting enough oxygen? You know what I'm saying? Oh, no, no, I don't do that anymore. I don't breathe. That's not something I do. It sounds silly because the person would be dead, right? But this is our problem. We have all these issues. We have all these issues and we're going to find solutions in all these different places. But we're not even breathing. You understand? How can we possibly solve our problems if we're not even breathing? If we don't even have the essentials to keep us alive? One other thing I want to say about Salah is when Ramadan comes around, we start to see sort of the way we were, were supposed to be the rest of the year, but we're only, we only really see it in Ramadan. I'll give you an example. Uh, missing Fajr, okay? 
Missing Fajr is one of these things that's very serious, okay? But in Ramadan, missing Fajr is very serious. Can anyone tell me why? Exactly. Thank you, sister. It means you missed Sahur, okay? Or Sihri, what you already call. You have missed the meal, the chance to eat, because now you have to fast. And so if you miss Fajr in Ramadan, you wake up and you're in a panic, like, right, cold sweat, you're in tears, you're like pulling your hair, because the reality is, you have to fast another, like, 13, 14 hours, and you didn't eat. That's intense. So you're very upset, okay, for a month, if you miss Fajr. Everyone following? But then there's these other 11 months, the rest of the year, where if we miss Fajr, we don't even notice, maybe. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, you know what I mean? And the reality is that that's because we're very focused on the needs of our body. Our stomach needs food, you know? And we're very focused on those needs. But we neglect the needs of our heart and our soul. That the salah itself is the food and the oxygen for the soul. But neglecting it is something that we take lightly. So it's just interesting to look at how in Ramadan, another thing that you'll notice, another thing that you'll notice is the way that Salah should be in our lives, yeah? The way we kind of organize our lives, even those who pray, is like we have certain activities, like say we have our day planned out, okay? And we'll have certain activities planned. So um, say I have a meeting at noon, and then I have, you know, this, I have to pick up my kids at, at two, and I have, so we have certain things that throughout our day. And then what do we do? Even if we do pray, we fit the Salah in between these other sort of activities and appointments. So in a sense, we take our lives and our activities within the lives and make them the pillars. Yeah? And then Salah fits if and when in between the pillars. You follow? But it's actually supposed to be the other way around. Right? It's supposed to be that the Salah times are the pillars. So you have Fajr, and then you have Dhuhr, and then you have Asr, and then you have Maghrib, and you have Isha. And then you fit your life in between those pillars. That's how our life... That's how you actually build a solid... See, right now we have pillars here. This building would not be, would not be solid without the pillars. If you take the pillars down, it's, it, it loses its, its strength. This, the pillars of our lives, for our lives to be solid, it needs to be the salah. And this sounds conceptual, but in fact, we live this in certain occasions. And one of them is in Ramadan. I'll tell you, nothing is planned at Maghrib time in Ramadan. Except for food. You know what I'm saying? Like, you basically say, look, I'll do it before Maghrib, I'll do it after Maghrib, but Maghrib is a pillar, right? In Ramadan, Maghrib is a pillar. What else is a pillar in Ramadan? Fajr. You guys understand what I'm saying? Why? Because it revolves around food. Okay? But we see a glimpse of what it's like, of what it actually should be, that our lives have the pillars of Salah, and then we fit our lives around those pillars. We see that in Ramadan, and there's another place we see that, and that's in Mecca and Medina. You know when you go to Mecca and Medina, and you want to meet up with your family, or you meet up with some friends, how do you say when you're going to meet? What's the, the lingo? What's the language that you use? You don't even talk about time. What do you say? After Asr, after Dhuhr, before Maghrib, you get it? That the entire way you look at your day revolves around those five pillars. That is actually how you live when you're in that area, when you're in that place. And that's how we should make our lives, is that our lives should actually revolve around the pillars of Salah, not the other way around. Salah doesn't revolve around our lives. 
Yeah. And this, the reason I'm emphasizing this so much is that if we want that stability and that resilience in our lives, we have to build the solid foundation and the solid structure. And it can't be solid without pillars. Okay? Is everyone getting what I'm saying? Okay. So number one was the salah. Number two is something called the afkar. Now you guys have heard this term before. The afkar basically mean afkar mean remembrances. The remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When I say afkar in this context, I'm referring to the Prophet habit that throughout his day he used to say certain supplications. In fact, the Prophet if you study his life and you look at the supplications that he would say, he had a dua for everything. Every motion of life, there was a dua that he would say. You know what I'm saying? Like, you leave the house, there's a dua. You come back in the house, there's a dua. You start eating, there's a dua. Finish eating, there's a dua. Entering the bathroom, leaving the bathroom, um, you know, uh, driving, new clothes, when you're afraid, when you're, when you're uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, scared or, or sad. Even before intimacy, there's a dua. The Prophet ﷺ taught us to actually through his example that he was no matter what he was doing he was remembering Allah his heart was remembering Allah even while his body was involved in dunya you see the depth of that that's the only real way to be healthy and strong is that you are remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala throughout your day you don't only remember him at Jummah. You don't only remember him in Ramadan. You don't only remember him even just during the five prayers. But throughout your day, you start to get in the habit of incorporating these adhkar. You know what that's like? So if we go back to the example of going to a doctor, you want to get healthy, right? You want to run a marathon, right? I told you, and I, and I think you agree, we have a lot we have a lot of trials. We have, you know, the wind sometimes gets really, really strong. And for us to be able to withstand that, we have to train. We have to build. We can't just go out there, you know, it's like go up to a tornado and say, okay, I got this. You know what I'm saying? You can't. That's, then you're going to get destroyed. But you have to be someone who, who has that training and that building, okay? And in order to do that, these afkar build that. Every time you get up in the morning, and I'm going to just tell you this. Within the afkar, I'll give you an easy way to do it, yeah? So there's an app that you can download on your phone called My Dua, M-Y-D-U-A-A. So it's double A at the end, My Dua, I don't get a cut. My Dua, okay? And when you download this app, it's basically Fortress of a Muslim, yeah? Fortress of a Muslim meaning it's that collection of the afkar of the Prophet that he would say throughout his day, it's from the Quran and the Sunnah. So it's authentic, and when you download this app, essentially, don't do it now. Um, essentially, you now have something where in the morning, you click on morning supplications and read through those supplications. Now, there's a few among these du'as that I would say sort of you can't really live without. You have to really incorporate these. And then beyond that, the more you can, the better. Okay. Those three are the morning ones where you wake up after Fajr, you open up your app and you read through the morning supplications. You just click on morning supplication. And then after us, you click on evening supplications. And then before you sleep, you click on the ones for sleep. Everyone with me? These three, you're going to be opening up your app for. Now within the day, there's going to be smaller ones which you can just memorize. Okay? Because there's they're, they're shorter ones. And that is... When you come into the house, remember Allah, say Bismillah, before you eat. When you leave the house, when you enter the bathroom, 
yeah, and before intimacy. That these du'as, these du'as, what they do. Now what I've just given you, I'm going to tell you, I've just given you something very powerful. I'll tell you what I've done. See this room right now? How many doors are there? There's a lot, yeah? There's probably like about six total doors. Now if I am trying to keep, say there's like a robber, say, and I don't want this robber to come into my home, yeah? Obviously my, my home, I have a door, a couple doors maybe, I have windows, right? Does anyone want the robber to enter their home? Okay, no matter how low your blood sugar is, you know you don't want to let a, a, a robber to come in your home, right? So what, what do you do when you go to sleep at night, yeah? Does anyone leave their front door wide open and then leave their window wide open and then wake up in the morning, everything's broken, everything's stolen and wonder why the robber came in? Like whose fault is that? Anyone? Yours, yeah? Why? Because you left all the doors and windows open. You didn't guard your doors. You didn't close them even. No, no, that's not how we are. When it comes to our home, not only do we close the doors, we lock them, we put a fence, we put a security system, you feel me? When you really have something you're trying to protect, you will put layers upon layers upon layers of protection around that which you're trying to protect, right? When you have a fancy car, yeah, you get a security system. You're protecting that which you love. Now here's the thing. The shaitan is always looking for a door. The shaitan is always looking for a door to come in and destroy us, destroy our lives, destroy our mental peace, destroy our relationships. One of the things I find very interesting is how many lectures have we heard about marriage? Probably like like 55, yeah, already in our lifetime. And in every single lecture about marriage, I feel like, alhamdulillah, there's so much good advice that's given. So much, you know, great, even if they talk about research, they talk about advice, the Prophet did this, last time. But there's this like really, really important thing which I feel like isn't mentioned. And that is how to protect the relationship from shaitan. Because in fact, it's shaitan, one of his number one goals is to destroy relationships. It's to come between husband and wife. It's to come between families. It's to come between friends. This is something that he has published, like he's advertised, right? That this is his goal, shaitan and his army. And one of the best, just like that home you're trying to protect. When I told you guys about the morning and the evening and the sleep and these adhkar that you're, that you're getting from this app, right? That's like closing the doors to your home. It's closing the windows. It's locking them. It's putting a security system. And what that does is it protects the sanctity of your home, your relationships, and your, also your inner peace, your inner, your inner like, you know, just, just to have pe- internal peace. And that's what's so amazing about doing these adhkar and incorporating them in your life is that you start to see that transformation, not just within yourself, but also in your relationships. So that was number two. We have one more, yeah? And the third one is the Qur'an. This is something, alhamdulillah, we're seeing in Ramadan. We are, we are increasing in our, in our Qur'an, whether it's reading personally, listening in tarawih, etc., and one thing that you'll find is that your emotional, psychological, and spiritual state in Ramadan is very different than outside of Ramadan. Yeah, fair enough? Yes or no? Do you guys notice the difference? It's a person who is, who is oxygenated, is eating healthy, is exercising, you know, is only eating organic. You know what I'm saying? How healthy is that person going to be? 
That person is going to start to actually be healthy. And that's what happens to us spiritually in Ramadan. And the reason for that is because we're doing these things. We are making sure that our body, our, our sorry, our, our soul, our heart and our soul is being taken care of. And that's the way that we build the shelter. Now, if we incorporate this in our lives, now when the big bad wolf comes, you're going to have different trials in life. And when it comes, you'll be in that solid foundation where you don't get destroyed like the first pig, yeah? You don't, you're, you don't, that trials come along and they will always come and go, but these trials no longer destroy you. They no longer make you incapable of, of going on in life. But you have that ability to be resilient. And that's the only way that you're going to find resilience. You won't find it anywhere else. Now in order, I'm just going to, I'm just going to sort of end on this, on this note. In order to be able to be resilient, we have to have um, a few things. And one of them is we have to have hope. We have to have the ability to, to see through and realize that everything is a process in life. Things do not happen overnight. You know, when a, person, when, when, when a child grows in the womb of the mother, it doesn't happen in one month. It doesn't happen in two. That there is a process, and no matter what you do, no matter, you know, all the medicine, all the science in the world, it can't speed it up. You know what I'm saying? Allah has designed a process for all things. And so when in our lives we don't see results, oftentimes we lose hope. You know, it's like, I did it, I've done this, I've done that, I've done that, I'm not seeing the result. It's not, you know, we, oftentimes I hear people saying things like, we feel this. I've made dua, I've been making dua, my dua isn't being answered. How often do we feel this? You know, we're asking Allah, asking Allah, and we're not seeing what we, what we want or what we need. What we have to realize is that everything takes a process, and Allah always hears your du'a. And Allah is answering your du'a. But there's a process that, has to, that, has to go, that you have to go through in order to, to get that, that, that end result that you're asking for. And finally, let me end with, um, with an ayah in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comforts the believers. He, he prepares the believers and he also comforts the believers. Do you believe, do you think that you will enter paradise without going through what those who came before you went through? They were, they were given adversity, hardships. They were so shaken that even the messengers and those with the messengers were asking, when will the help of Allah come? Mata Nasrullah. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ends by saying, Ala inna Nasrullahi qareeb. Indeed, the help of Allah is near. Akhuni qawli hadha wa astaghfirullah li wa lakum inna wa ghafirun rahim. Subhanakallahu bihamdak. Ashadu an la ilaha illa ant. Astaghfiruk wa atubu alayk. Jazakumullah khair, it's, it was an honor talking to you and um, inshallah keep me and my family in your du'as, especially when breaking the fast and all those um, throughout the world who are suffering. Um, Jazakumullah khair, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.